Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one. No questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on HighTruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. Today's episode is sponsored by Families Against Fentanyl. FAF is an organization set on breaking the status quo of failed solutions and to get to the core of the supply chain of deadly fentanyl. Learn more about FAF by visiting familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign their petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Hi, everyone. Welcome to High Truths. It's always the highlight of my day to be with you. I'm your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. Today, I thought I would talk to you about everyone's favorite topic and listen to uh, something that I want to show off about, as well as we have a great question. Um, So first, uh, I want to talk about something that's in the headlines. It's in the news, in every single source everywhere around the entire world, something that affects us regardless of age or race or socioeconomic class. Your and my favorite topic of discussion, COVID. And are you been sick from COVID yet? Or are you just sick and tired of COVID? I am jealous of COVID because it hogs all the attention. It's a media hog, conversation hog, health hog. It's just COVID, COVID, COVID. I'm jealous because frankly, it should be fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl. Families Against Fentanyl published a fact sheet based on CDC data showing us several important science-based facts. Point number one. Fentanyl is the number one cause of death in age 18 to 45, more than COVID, more than suicide, more than car accidents. Point number two, drug overdose deaths reached a record high in 2021 at 100,000 people. Point number three, fentanyl fatally poisons one person every 8.57 minutes. Point number four, Fentanyl fatalities have increased nearly 50% in the 12 months before April 2021. And I'll share a secret with you. The upcoming data will not look any better. In fact, it'll probably look worse. Point number five, fentanyl is tied to 64% of total drug deaths. Fentanyl has been laced in cocaine, heroin, ecstasy, Xanax, Oxycontin, and marijuana. And that's why using drugs is like playing Russian roulette with fentanyl. COVID Omicron variant is getting people sick. I work in the emergency department and our hospitals are full of COVID patients. It's true, but people are dying from fentanyl. The headline, 
and outrage in the United States should be about drugs. And because of that, I wanted to do something as a doctor about fentanyl. I can't stop the precursors coming from China, assembled in Mexico, nothing about the supply chain. I can treat opiate use disorder, but I've been doing that for some time. What could I do to bring awareness of the fentanyl crisis to the medical community with data and education that intervenes? And that one thing that I I came up with and worked on for some time, I am very excited to share about you. And it's translated now to a bill in California. California Senate Bill 864, Tyler's Law, will require fentanyl to be included in all hospital urine drug tests, thus having better engagement in the medical community on the fentanyl crisis. I'm very excited about this. I've been singing the song Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill and I want to be a law, but I won't sing anymore because if you do, you'll never listen to my podcast again. Um, But uh, fentanyl testing will make a difference. It'll allow people to know um, if they're positive. Many people don't know. It'll engage the medical community. It'll, if you're positive, you may tell your friends, you may get a prescription for naloxone. You may uh, get into treatment. It could save people's lives. And that's why I think this bill is so important. And it was just introduced recently in California um, out of a project that I led in San Diego of increasing testing in our community. I'm very excited about that. And I will be sharing with you um, as it comes along and when it passes and, and celebrate it if it does. And with that, let's hear our question of the day. Um, that is very interesting. You'll want to hear this question. Hi there. My name is Danny Darko Marciano. I'm a recovered alcoholic and addict. I've been sober since 9-28-2005. I'd like to thank Dr. Roni Lev for bringing me on here to High Truths Podcast. Uh, big fan. Dropping knowledge and facts uh, about recovery and addiction for the people. We appreciate that. I've been sober uh, 16 years. It took me a very long time to get sober. I went through 13 rehabs. I was incarcerated 27 times, to be exact. It was a very long journey. My journey ended with uh, my girlfriend at the time committing suicide due to complications from her heroin addiction. Um... She had contracted necrotizing fasciitis. Some of you may be familiar with that disease. Um, Some of you are not. I'll let the doctor handle that. It took me a long time to get sober. I didn't get sober uh, for many years. And when I finally did, I had been on the streets and institutionalized for so many years that I didn't really have any idea of how to function in society. I'd never had a job. Um, I'd never done anything that normal people do. I was a career criminal. So it took me some time to adjust and acclimate to regular society. Uh, I have done so since then. And I have been in the rooms of recovery for many years. I have also sought therapy through behavioral modification and uh, other types of behavioral therapy uh, to be a well-adjusted citizen. It's not easy to get a job if you've never had a job and you're a heavily tattooed person with a lot of felonies. 
Uh, I did, however, get a job after two years of looking for a job. And since that time, which has been some years now, almost 15 years, I have written and published children's books. I am a children's entertainer currently, so I actually go out and entertain families. Um, I am a Grammy member of the Los Angeles Recording Academy now. I have been on several TV shows and worked on several movies in Hollywood. These are not things that a lot of people do with their recovery journey, but this is this is what has happened in my life. Uh, it didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of perseverance. And like I've heard from the beginning of recovery, recovery is for people who want it, not for people who need it, because a lot of people need it and they're just not ready to be there yet. Uh, Fortunately, the doors were open when I got here and uh, I was able to make a successful journey. Um, I'll ask one question. What are the most important aspects for people living in recovery? Danny, I dropped everything I was doing when I listened to your question. Your story is dramatic and inspirational and so much to unpack. I immediately picked up the phone and asked you if you would uh, join us on High Truths, and you graciously said yes. And, and so everyone, I'm inviting Danny to a dedicated High Truth podcast to share his um, story from being a career criminal to a child entertainer and performing. Um, uh, pretty remarkable. So listen for Danny Darko Marciano's podcast in the future. And we do have an answer to your question, Danny, about recovery. And I have the perfect guest, Kevin Lee. Kevin's career has been focused on startup companies, behavior health startup companies, driven in order to get better outcome for people who have substance use disorder and mental health challenges. During the last 30 years, he has founded or co-founded six different such companies. His most recent two are Recovery Club America and In-Home Recovery. Recovery Club America serves individuals with mental illnesses or addiction. They provide each club member a customized toolkit for mental fitness and an online community. The other company, In-Home Recovery, provides detoxification services in-home to individuals and assists clients in getting into treatment that will last for at least a year. You can find Kevin Lee's bio on the High Truth show notes. Kevin Lee, welcome to High Truths. Thank you, Dr. Lev. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you, too. It's great to meet you. I have to tell you, Kevin, that Lee is um, the last name of um, my husband and all my kids. So uh, uh, I think, and then my my daughter's name is Karen. So when your name comes up on email, it's like, is that Karen Lee? Oh, no, it's Kevin Lee. <laughs> uh, so great, great last name. Um, yeah, uh, it, people think it's a Korean name, but there's actually two people who signed the Constitution with the last name Lee. Right. And, uh, That's right. Are they your ancestors? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Maybe I'll learn. <laughs> right. So, Kevin, you're an entrepreneur, and you chose, out of all the things in business that you could choose, you chose recovery. What, what uh, drove you to do that? 
Well, I, I, that's a, a great question. <laughs> I've, all my life, since uh, as a little boy, I've been fascinated, been interested in behavioral health, um, had some issues in my family like so many of us do, some real challenges with mental health, mental illness. And so as I, I, it's just the way life's path can take us, um, I, I began my career as an accountant. I worked for Ernst, was Ernst & Young EY, and a client uh, offered me a job, and this client operated psychiatric hospitals. And that was also coincidental, but I became even more fascinated with what we're doing, trying to help folks who have psychiatric conditions. And so for 30 years, I've been in it. And I continue to be more and more fascinated every day. My interest grows. I love it. The main reasons, though, are I, I love to see people who have a, a behavioral health challenge meet up with that challenge, manage it, have a normal, a good quality of life, conduct activities of daily living. Um, I've just been so fascinated with it and continue to be more so every day. I love it. Yeah, if you see people get better from a debilitating illness, including mental health, that can be rewarding. Very. Um, very. I work on the other end of things in the emergency department, which I feel is very frustrating. Uh, so many patients have uh, mental illness and substance use disorder in a revolving door and don't get connected. Do you do you feel that in in where you're standing? Absolutely. I do. And I, I understand what you're saying. It seems like, and you know this part better than me, but it seems like nearly half the folks who present in an emergency department are really there because of a mental health condition. In fact, in my prior company, uh, we developed a system, a, commu a communication system, so that hospital emergency department personnel could push a button, enter into an app that we gave them. So it's a mobile app and they, they used um, smartphones or tablets and just went through a little screen, a six section, six question screen, excuse me. And so our company journey pure served as a triage, a, a, a resource to the emergency department personnel for that very reason that so many people present there and they're in the wrong venue. And our purpose was to help find those folks the appropriate venue of treatment very, very quickly. That's so fascinating. I, how how many mm, different emergency departments uh, uh, we, use your app and connect to treatment? Yeah, and that was in my prior company, excuse me, Journey Pure. I, I think mm -hmm. we had 17 or 18 hospitals going. HCA, Hospital Corporation of America, loved yeah. it. And they spread oh. it out amongst their hospitals in Tennessee, Georgia, and Kentucky. And other Hence hospitals. the accent what? that we're hearing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, right, and you're talking to us from Tennessee. I am Nashville, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. So th that's fascinating. I think I think we we all night. Well, God, I can't imagine an emergency department that wouldn't want to like press a button and get people triaged to the right place, um, or 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 not even not triage to the right place, but connect them with treatment that, well, a lot of times we just give them a piece of paper and say, here, call one of these phone numbers and, and uh, hope that works out for you. Um, yeah. yeah, they have nowhere to go. And you and I know that is a major issue 
I think around the world, but certainly in the United States, and it's one of it should be a high priority to solve that, and it's not being done. And that is get people out of a hospital emergency departments, talking about general acute care hospitals like you are, and find the appropriate venue of, of treatment for them right away. Yeah, well, it's actually, I would say, one of the number one problems in emergency departments across the United States right now, not, not just COVID, but holding people with um, mental health issues for not days, but weeks. They live and, and breathe and breathe their teeth and walk around in our emergency departments uh, waiting for a, a place that's not, not available. They do. Yeah. And it's so resource and, intensive and it's just not, nobody wins when yeah. that happens. Yeah. And now you're working in recovery. Right. Is that right? So what can you tell us, what does that mean? What is recovery? What's the definition? Recovery, uh, and I'm supposing you get different answers on that, <laughs> but recovery in the way that my teammates and I use it is a person is healing from a substance abuse and or a mental illness challenge, and they're managing that challenge and trying to cope and have a normal, high-functioning life. And so that's recovery, um, getting on a, being on that path to uh, living your best life, that highest version of yourself. That's recovery right. for me. So there's 20 million Americans who are living wonderful lives, productive lives, you know, um, who are living in recovery. So we know that that's possible. Is there right. a difference between being sober and being in recovery? I think so. I, th I think yeah, and, and I don't think about it that way so much, but I do believe so. I think that being in recovery means that you're actively managing your health in a way that you're aware of those triggers, cravings, those um, events in your life that can cause you to uh, abuse substances again or, or just have behaviors you really don't want. Uh, it's about habits change, as you know, being in recovery um, versus just being sober and la-ti-da and not, not really managing so that if you're just sober and you're not managing your recovery, then you might relapse more, be more likely to relapse rather than being an active manager of your behaviors. Yeah. Right. And so, so um, Kevin, Danny called in with a question to you about um what what are the important aspects of recovery and he had such a dramatic story oh yeah well then for danny and anyone else who wants to be in recovery and that is stay healthy and stay on that path of having a healthy lifestyle a good quality of life is to have a teammate a partner in recovery or a group of teammates be part of a community where the other people in that community are very supportive uh, to you. I think that's the key to success. You can't do it alone. Uh, we as humans, as you know, we're social. We don't like being alone anyway. So have teammates who are supportive of you, who will always help you be there um, when you get in a, in a bad situation, a bad way, you have a trigger, a craving, whatever it may be. Uh, have some teammates be supportive who are open with you and be vulnerable to them. Uh, be open, be transparent, share thoughts and feelings, 
but but again, have have a teammate or or several teammates. That I think that's the key to success in recovery. Oh wow, that's very important. It's is that you always have a backup because something is something will always happen, right? That's life, right? There's always some type of trigger, some event, some craving, and if you have something to fall back on, I agree. Um, yes, and you set that in place, and that's is that what you do in your recovery world? We we do. Recovery Club America is a new company that I started with teammates, and it's all about having a community. It's a social networking platform, and it's it's uh, it's just just that the uh, uh, the key element in it is that persons who become club members in Recovery Club America, uh, our purpose is to help them stay healthy, and we do that with the community being the primary element, the asset that they get when they join us, so they get that support. Nice. Um, and do they get a choice? Is is it people connect? And sometimes people connect with some people, some don't. Or how does that work? They do. They get to select friends. They can have private chats with them. They can go into a on the platform. There's groups. There's rooms where people have common interests can have meetings. They do that on their own if they like. And it's it takes it, it makes uh, for the, the, it creates an ability for people to go online and have a meeting anytime, anywhere with support at your fingertips via your smartphone, your, your laptop computer, desktop computer. Um, so it's immediately available that support. And yes, you can choose your friends. You know, it makes it makes sense because now everything um, is electronic and makes it at an instant, right? If I want food in my hotel room, I can like, you know, click a button and, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. get that to come to me. There's uh, everything is connected, you know, um, uh, car services, home services, and, and, and why not this? Why not have such a service for people who um, uh, uh, need that instant support 24 seven, wherever you are in the world? Right, yes. Right. It's it's valuable, yes. Now, people who come into recovery, I mean, Danny's story um, about his 27 incarcerations and girlfriend's suicide and, you know, what a, a, a tragic low, as low as it could be so dramatic. Do people have to reach a low um, and that low before they decide that they want to change their life? We see very often they do. As you mentioned, there's about 20 million people in recovery. Uh, we see that a lot of people really have to get in that low, lowest ditch, if you will, where they're hopeless. They lose hope and they've got shame and they don't know where to turn. And it's usually somebody who helps them uh, get into treatment, uh, find friends and get support. Roughly half the folks who become sober have had a problem not saying that as as a, as so many challenges that Danny Marciano had that's really remarkable that he's up and around and functioning and congratulations but uh, uh, roughly half the folks who become sober who've had a real substance use problem whether it's alcohol or drugs or a combination and most people use any drug they can when they they become addicted about half the folks who get sober on their own roughly and in about half will will need help. So we find they do have to get in a really bad place. And then they think, well, I'm going to die. I'm going to get better. It's that fork in the road uh, that they meet with. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, and can people, usually there's people around somebody who, who, who's um, down like that, family members, parents, doctors, friends, and they say, okay, you need to do this. Does that work? Can other people around you force you into recovery? Yes. Sober? In the addiction treatment world, we find that half or a little more than half the folks who get into treatment are pushed into treatment by a loved one. And how and does that work? How do you... Danny makes a point that you, it's for people who want it, not just need it. But can... can how, how can family members... And friends successfully push someone into treatment? And, and that is a great question. It's a big issue. Actually, we know that a person's not going to get into recovery, as we discussed earlier, without wanting to. They have to want to be healthy. They have to, they, they have, to have that desire to manage their life in a positive way. But uh, it's so often that we get, we, like I say, more than half the people who get into treatment are nudged by someone else, they start feeling better, and then they have that that will, that desire to stay healthy. Yeah, and um, but you said fifty percent of people are pushed into treatment. How does that how does that happen? Very roughly, the phone calls we get for people who um, need treatment are about half the time, or a little more than half the time, are from a spouse or a parent or a guardian. Or someone. Sometimes it's a very good friend, um, but that's the way it works. It just happens that way that the person is just, you know, they can't stay sober. They're not functioning. <laughs> Man, someone will call uh, and say, "Let's, we got to get this person help," and then they'll they'll uh, concede and they'll go into treatment. Yeah. I, I've heard it called tough love, you know, where you're, okay, you got to, you have to do this. And sometimes um, at the very extreme cases, incarceration is, people can get sober in jail and, and, and be motivated to change. Right. Um, and that, that tough love is the right way to put it, in my opinion. And so, so many people are afraid to use that tough love to really push a friend, to push a loved one, to get them help. We say that so often. People just don't, they're, they're not willing to have that fight with that person to get them help. We see that a lot. So what is the most common type of addiction that you're, you're seeing? Is it alcohol, um, fentanyl, it is, marijuana? It's uh, nicotine, but we don't, we're not worried so much about nicotine. <laughs> but that is one of the most addictive drugs, as you know. But alcohol is uh, half or 55% or so of the the abused drug in, in, in our world, in the United States anyway. And, uh, but I think uh, it's most important to think of it as about 70% of the people who do get into treatment are using multiple drugs. Mm-hmm. And so they're using painkillers, whatever they can do to get high. So uh, we, we have folks who have no interest in alcohol, but they're, they're taking uh, benzodiazepines at a level that's dangerous. Now, of course, as you know, that combined with alcohol is very dangerous, uh, very dangerous. We see that a lot. But um, it, it's alcohol is uh, what we see the most in terms of drug abuse, but uh, painkillers are very close behind. And, and as you know, because of the overdose deaths, the abuse of 
narcotics, painkillers especially, uh, are what makes the news because of the overdose deaths. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned benzodiazepines because I've had like several uh, episodes and definitely see that clinically. And um, in, in a way, benzodiazepine addiction can be worse than opiate addiction because getting off of them is much harder. Um, you could stop taking opioids and be uncomfortable. You probably won't die. Uh, but you can't stop benzodiazepines, like Ativan, Valium, Xanax, um, cold turkey. You could die from that. Uh, you have, it has to be tapered. So, and, right. and you also mentioned nic- nicotine. There's medications to assist with nicotine addiction, with benzodiazepine addiction, with opioid addiction. How, how does the recovery world see medications to help people um, uh, manage addiction? Right. Yeah. Well, and I agree totally. The the benzos, benzodiazepines, Xanax, Ativan, and so forth are they're the toughest to withdraw from. And unfortunately, I think our our lay people out in our world don't realize that, and don't realize how dangerous it is. And they are so addictive. Um, over the last several years, uh, we've really gained traction in uh, I believe in the world, but certainly in the United States, and and getting acceptance of medications, the anti-craving medications that are very helpful to people who want to be healthy and they're willing to take medicines that will help them uh, uh, manage the cravings. So they eliminate the cravings to a great extent. And that's, um, as you know, Suboxone is is a, (laughs) a brand name, a buprenorphine that's very effective in managing the cravings, eliminating cravings for um, the uh, painkillers, as I call them. Uh, also, uh, uh, the Vivitrol brand name is another one that also helps folks manage cravings and is especially effective with the alcohol, uh, eliminating the, the, the craving for having a drink. And that's something that changed in the recovery world. It used to be you know, stigmatized if you needed to be on those medications. Like, okay, well, you're not really sober. You're not in recovery because you're taking all these other drugs. And I think, uh, I think we've changed that around. Um, probably in most places, I imagine. I don't know. You would know that. Where that's that's like, okay, if you need to be on these medications, that's okay. You're still considered sober in recovery. Oh, just yeah. I, I, we have made great progress. Just four or five years ago, many addiction treatment centers and still some out there uh, will not let their clients or patients have an anti-craving medicine. There's one here close by where I am right now, and it's a big one. They've got 40 to 60 uh, clients at any time, and they do not allow Suboxone. I don't understand it. There are many employers who sponsor, have, they want their employees or family members to get into treatment and they still will not allow a prescription of an anti-craving medicine for them and and then be on the job that's right. still out there but we have made so a lot of progress we you know because we say addiction is a chronic disease of the brain so if we say this is something like diabetes some people may be able to stop eating cake and not be a diabetic anymore and on right. the other end, you need some people who need to be like an insulin pump for the rest of their lives. 
And the same right. thing with addiction. There's some people who just be able to like, you know, stop and, and be fine. And there are other people who may need to be on a medication that a system for the rest of their lives. And that's better than being dead. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. And then there's in, in between. And, um, you know, I guess the patients I treat have been using for a long time. And I, the one piece of advice as I give them at, as they are going into treatment is like, don't be in a rush to quit. You know, your brain has been used to these drugs now for 10 years. It's, you're not going to get over it in a month or a week. You don't, don't use it just to treat your withdrawal. That's why I see people mistake. I say that they use it just to treat their withdrawals, and then they think that they're okay. And then they use drugs again, and then it may be fentanyl, and then, and then it's not pretty. Um, right. So just like wait, because if it took you 10 years to get here, it's not going to be overnight for your brain receptors to adjust. Um, and it's, it's, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to be on it your whole life, but just give it more time than what you think you need. I agree. And I think your, your example, Dr. Lev, with diabetes is a prime example. We, we accept that folks benefit from medicines if they have diabetes. Yeah. There's no question about it. So why don't we accept that with addiction? I don't right. understand. And we also show that relapsing rates, people who have diabetes or asthma or high blood pressure relapse from that chronic illness, right? They'll like eat the pie that they shouldn't have eaten or they forgot their inhaler or they didn't take their blood pressure medicines or they ate some salty potato chips and their blood pressure went up. That's relapse. And we have that right. just as much with these medical illnesses as we do with substance use disorder. We do. Yeah. Absolutely. We kind of mentioned, uh, you know, the stigma of using drugs. The, the other stigma that was very interesting is Danny calls himself an addict. He uses that word on himself, which is, you know, we're taught that that's stigmatizing uh, language. Um, I, I don't know how you see that in, 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 in your world with recovery. Is, is that Do you find that people call themselves addict, even though we are trained to use the word, the PC language of substance use disorder? Yeah, uh, I think it's healthy for Danny to uh, recognize fully that he's, an, he's addicted, he's an addict, and that he's going to manage it now. Uh, so he got to that realization that, hey, I'm, I'm addicted now. I'm, I'm going to manage my way through this and be healthy. So I, 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 I believe it's, it's a healthy thing. And, and we tell people that you can own the problem, manage your way through it. If you will recognize and believe that you've got this disease now, you've become addicted. It's, it's in you. It's in your brain. But you can manage it. Uh, and I think uh, coming to the realization that you're addicted is the first step in getting to be healthy. I do. Yeah. So it's, 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 I think it's one of these things. If you say it about yourself, it's okay, but other people can't say it about yeah. you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so we mentioned that addiction is a relapsing disease. People fall off the wagon, make a mistake. Um, mm -hmm. and how many times? Do you allow forgiveness? Um, Danny had it 27 times. <laughs> um, but what is it like in the uh, recovery world? Is it people like, okay, it's like how many times is this going to happen to you? Or is there always um, openness to, to, to make amends and, and to, to try again? 
There should be openness always, in my opinion. And I, I believe if you talk with many folks who are in the addiction treatment, addiction treatment world, mm-hmm. you'll get uh, two different opinions or more. Uh, there are many addiction treatment centers that will not allow a person to relapse. So if you are in treatment and you're in a residential facility where you're living in a, in a property provided by the addiction treatment uh, center, and you use drugs while you're in treatment, while you're in that state with them, you get kicked out. That still happens a lot. I don't get that. That means the person is going to go back out in the world and they're using drugs again and they may not live. So I think there ought to be- I can see it both ways because if those beds are precious, 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 and there's a whole, Mm -hmm. for every person who takes that bed, there's probably 10 or more who want that bed. So, if, you know, we're going to give someone else a chance until right. you change your mind. I, I could kind of see that when, can, li- when resources are limited. I can see that as well. And, and it's because that bad apple in the barrel can cause other persons to <laughs> abuse drugs as well. And so it's a big challenge, just that. Yeah. Very big challenge. But we need to manage our way through it and find a way to give every person who's alive another chance all the time, some way. So That's my opinion. Recovery Club of America. There's no. There's no limits, right? If you right. try seven times, two hundred and seven times. That's right. Yeah. And Recovery Club of America. Yeah. You've always got a chance. You've always got a teammate. We'll support you no matter what. That's right. Right. And do you support people who have? Um, uh, issues with substance use disorder as well as mental health because that's even more challenging. Uh, we do. And yeah, Recovery Club America was formed with the purpose of helping people stay healthy who want to recover, recover and manage their mental health challenge and or addiction. So we've got many club members now who have a mental mental illness, if you will, mental health challenge. Uh, and that's it. They're not necessarily addicted to drugs. Um, what we know is that folks persons who have chronic mental illness, the majority of them will self-medicate till they become addicted to drugs. So given that, uh, they're hand in hand, they're not separable. Uh, We try to help people who are in recovery from mental illness as well as drug abuse. Yeah, because drugs are a way of escaping your reality oh, yeah. if you're not happy your reality this it's a way of escaping it unfortunately it's so dangerous it's a coping mechanism is as so many folks we don't know if the, the, the clinical depression comes first mm-hmm. or the alcoholism right what's so, you what, yeah, yeah yeah well yeah and they go they go hand in hand and 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 um uh, probably you know the, the the brain uh receptors and connection also are are so much connected to that as well um, right. Yeah. Right. Um, if you had a wish for 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 people and and who who are struggling, what would it be? Well, uh, I don't know that I could say one, <laughs> but, but you can uh, have a few. To, yeah, get a get a loved one who who's willing to to support you, stay by your side. I think that the uh, we we've made a lot of progress. In, in the United States and, and working through the stigma. Uh, I, I believe it's so important for folks to reach out and get help with a licensed therapist uh, and, and including a psychiatrist 
Um, we know there's a shortage of psychiatrists, but we need to use our resources more than we do. So I, I think that's, that's top of mind for me that in, in our, our world for folks out there who may be uh, struggling in some way, reach out, get some help. Uh, I know it's not easy. Recovery Club America is a place where you can get almost immediate help. Uh, that's one of the primary values we've got. But the, the, there's, it, it's so limited the help that you can get. Uh, it's a real struggle. Um, so I've got a lot of wishes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, what's interesting uh, to me is so many folks uh, get hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital and they've got a short length of stay. The average length of stay for an adult in our psychiatric hospital and hospitals in the United States is about seven days. It's been that way for about 20 years. And that seven day period is very short. Well, let's say a person lives in a remote area and they go 80 miles to a psychiatric hospital. They're there for that seven days. And a psychiatrist begins a medicine regimen with them. Uh, but as you know, the, so many of our uh, um, antidepressants and medicines, it takes a while to see what does yeah, work. It's not, it's not a one-time thing. It takes a lot of fun too. Right. So they go back home after their seven days. Well, then what are they going to do? They can't practically get to the psychiatrist again in a short period. How do we follow up with them? How do we help them manage? They're almost like on an hour. telehealth? Do you yes. use telehealth yeah, to do that? And so we help them. Uh, they just have their phone and and we stay connected with them. So my part of my wish list is that we get more and more people to use those resources. And uh, I think that's, that's there's a huge opportunity there. We know that yeah. telehealth has has blossomed. It's grown because of the awful pandemic we've been through. Um, but it's expected to grow more and more. People are accepting of it. Uh, yeah. saw a study that 88% of the folks in the United States who have used telehealth will use it and prefer it if it's not emergent, but still the majority of people, 60, 62% in this large sample size would prefer to see a clinician in an office, but still there's limitations on that. So there's a lot of interesting, right. yeah. Yeah. Why drive to the office, wait in the waiting room, you know, drive back home, you know, when you can just right. click and, yeah. <laughs> and, That's right. and see your doctor, um, yeah. you know, especially yeah. for mental health. I think a lot of that could be done. Um, oh, yeah. That, you know, and very well. Yeah. 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 We found that people uh, that just try it are happy, are, are yeah. happy with the results. Do you have um, a happy story from from um, your world that you can share with us? I do. Uh, I have got a lot of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a very quick story that it was it was one of the more stunning moments in my life. About three years ago, I was sitting with a very good friend in a restaurant uh, for lunch, and he had on a shirt that had a label on it that indicated the work that we're doing, and a, a senior lady. An elderly lady walked up to us and said, "I like your shirt. The work you do." She said, "You're doing God's work. Don't ever, don't ever give up. You're doing God's work. Don't ever give up." Mm-hmm. We said, "Well, what, what do you mean?" And she said, "My grandson, the best six months of his life have been the last six months." And we were so that's great. 
And she says, don't you ever give up. And then she went on to tell us that a couple of months prior to that day, she had did, he had, had gotten a job. She didn't hear him moving around upstairs. He lived in her home and she went upstairs and there was a needle by his arm. He had overdosed and died. So he had relapsed. It's awful. But she said, she just kind of pounded the table. Don't you ever give up because the work you're doing trying to help people save their own lives is what we need more of. Now, to me, that's a happy story because she thought it was a blessing, the work that we were doing. Yeah. And, yeah. So it, feeling- it is a blessing. I think that people who are involved in this field are everyone I meet is so passionate about it and really wants to help people. But mm-hmm. it's it's sad. She lost her grandchild. It's yeah, it's very, very sad, but very rewarding just to hear her say that that way. Her, her yeah, because she was, that what you're doing is so important. Right. She she yeah. said it's valuable work. Don't you ever give up. That was great. Uh, yeah. That's great. And it drives you. Don't you ever give up. That's right. <laughs> I'm very driven by and, it. And maybe that's our it. final advice to, to Danny Darko. What's your final advice for him? I, I like that. Oh, keep up the work. I'm so happy. I'd love to meet Danny. I, I think it's it's great. He's a great story. And if he could share his story, Danny, share your story with someone else out there in our world as often as you can. Um, You know, you're going to help someone else when you do. And and that would be great. I'm going to I'm going to invite him. I'm going to invite him uh, to tell his story. So I want to say thank you to Danny Darko for your question. We really look forward to hosting you and and hearing your interesting um, uh, journey and and how how that happened. um, and maybe we get to see a picture of all your tattoos <laughs> as he talks about that. Um, and then, uh, Kevin Lee, thank you so much for joining us, for providing important services to a population that's vulnerable now with the pandemic, needs it more than ever, both with mental health and, um, and substance use. And you're doing God's work. Don't ever give up. Thank you, Dr. Lev. I've enjoyed it, and you're doing great work. Thank you for all you do as well. Really do appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsor. A sincere and warm thank you to FAF, Families Against Fentanyl. Visit familiesagainstfentanyl.org and sign the petition to declare illegal fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction. Make drug dealers think twice and three times before peddling killer drugs. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths.